0: Uh, I told you last week to bring a bag lunch. If you didn't bring a bag lunch, that's on you, not me. Um, but I, I do pray that our time this morning would be a, a blessing and uh, that we would walk away uh, understanding exactly what God would have for us in this passage. Um, I want to have a word of prayer. We'll read the passage of Scripture again, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and uh, just praying that, that God would use this uh, as He sees fit in our lives. Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 again says this, "'I beseech you, therefore, brethren,' By the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for the time that we can gather this morning, and I do pray that Uh, Even now, as we look to your word, God, that we would be sensitive to the leading of your spirit, that we would allow him to break down any walls in our lives that we have built up. God, I pray that our desire would be to daily live a life of worship as we continually place ourselves on the altar of sacrifice. God, I pray that in our own lives, we would understand where the struggle between the flesh and the spirit is. And that in those places, God, we would continually yield ourselves to you. And I pray that your word would have preeminence in our hearts and in our minds. And as we give your word preeminence, God, I pray that our minds would be renewed so that our lives would look like your son, Jesus Christ. Oh God, do a work in us. Pray for Children's Church this morning downstairs, God, that as they prepare for the Christmas program, they would understand that Christmas is is more than just an old story, but it's about the Savior coming to the world. God, I pray for the nursery workers that as they minister to those kids and to these families, those babies would begin to see your love even here and now in their lives. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be your children. And I do pray today that we would walk in your ways and that our lives would bring glory to your name. May that be our highest aim in this life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Romans is a book of the Bible that is full of well-known verses. But of the most well-known verses, 1 and 2 of chapter 12 should be on the top of the list. These verses are transitional in the sense that they take what Paul has spoken about or written about in the first 11 chapters, and they then apply that to daily living. They take doctrine and they make it a part of our daily lives. Paul, in his writings, does an excellent job of describing to us what the gospel is and what salvation is. In fact, if it wasn't for books like Romans and Ephesians and Galatians, we would still be left in the dark in our understanding of what the true gospel is. But God, through his infinite wisdom, used Paul, he used his intellect, he used his knowledge to pen these things down for the generations to come, that we would have confidence in this faith in Jesus Christ. As we think of the book of Romans, it's it's very uh, laid out in a very well or easy to understand way. In chapter 1 through chapter 3, we see that Paul unpacks this idea of the pervasiveness of sin in the world, but also in our lives. In chapters 3, the end of chapter 3 through chapter 5, we see that Paul dives into this idea of the salvation that God has provided for us. Aren't you thankful today that Paul doesn't just write about our sin condition? But he writes about the freedom from that sin through salvation in Jesus Christ. As Paul continues in chapter 6 through chapter 8, he talks about the sanctification that happens in our lives as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God. In chapters 9 through 11, Paul writes about the sovereignty of God in salvation and that he has brought people from every corner of the world to himself, from Jew to Gentile, from bond to to free. All are welcome in the family of God. And then in Romans 12, through the end of the chapter, we see that Paul outlines for us our obligation to the gospel and what our lives should look like because of the gospel. Certainly, as you read through the book of Romans, that outline that I just gave you, they'll overlap. It's not a perfect breakdown, but certainly it reveals to us the progression of the Christian life, that we go from being sinners who are on our way to hell to being a people who have a a radical life change because of the difference that the gospel has made in us. And uh, as we spend time in the word of God this morning, uh, I pray that as we spend time specifically in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, that we would understand this idea of living our lives as an act of worship to our heavenly father. This may sound simple to us, but I dare say that as we go through this portion of the Word of God, that we will all be able to identify the places that we struggle and the places that we fail. And my desire as we go through this passage is not to make us feel bad. My desire is that as we go through this passage, our eyes would be opened to what God is calling us to. Church, do you realize that God has called us to the best life possible? And it's a life full of sacrifice. And at times it's a life full of turmoil. And at times it's a life full of questions. But as we go through these trying times, we must also understand that it is a life of peace that nothing else could bring. And so as we seek to lay our lives on the altar, I pray that our lives would in turn be seen as worshipful to our God in heaven. In our world today, there's a sect of Christianity that would say, I can just do what I want, and it doesn't matter how I live. Do we understand today that that message is not found in the Bible? Amen. It's not. not. And though we may try to convince ourselves that it is and make ourselves feel better when that's our mindset, we must understand that God has not called us to live any way we want, but In fact, he's told us just the opposite, that every part of our lives matter. Every part of our lives are to be lived on the altar of sacrifice. Every part of our lives are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Every part of our lives are to be looking more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. And so we can't say in the areas of our life that we fail that that's just how it is. Because if we understand the Bible, we also understand that, that may be how it is, but that's not how it has to be. That God has given us freedom from the bondage of sin. God has given us freedom from the bondage of self. And he's empowered us and enabled us through his spirit to live a life that brings glory to his name. And so when we look to the word of God and we see that there's an inconsistency with the word of God in our lives, we must understand that the problem is never with the Bible the problem would always be with our own hearts. As Paul was writing this letter, he was writing to a church that he had never visited. This letter was written about 25 years after Christ had resurrected from the dead and ascended back into heaven. And Paul wrote this at the end of his third missionary journey as he was in Corinth. And though he had not visited this church, he loved them and he desired for them to flourish in their Christian life. And he was willing to speak hard truths to them for he knew it would be profitable to their souls. And I'll just be honest with you. that There's some things that we'll talk about today that are hard truths. But my heart in sharing them is because the Word of God reveals to us that understanding these things is profitable to our souls. And if in our lives, when we hear hard truth from the Bible, we begin to build up walls revealing that we have a heart problem that needs to change. But when we hear hard truths and we allow the Spirit of God to break down those walls, it reveals to us that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And church, that should be our desire each and every day. Paul is passionately pleading with this church and with these believers and with us to allow our lives to, To be light in darkness. He begins chapter 12 by using these words. I beseech you therefore brethren. This idea of beseeching is literally a beggar's cry. And he's desiring that they would see how God would want their lives to be lived in this life. He's desiring that they would see that every part of their life matters. And as that was Paul's desire then church I pray that we would understand that very same truth that every part of our life matters. From our private life to our public life, from the thoughts that we have in our hearts and in our minds to the words that we speak, every part of our lives matter. And as we grasp that reality today, I do pray that God would grow in us this desire to live our lives as an act of worship. The big idea this morning is this. Paul is urging believers to give themselves on the altar of sacrifice as a response to what God has done for them in giving His Son as a sacrifice for sin. As we think about our lives, I want to begin with a simple question, that's this. Are we truly giving ourselves or presenting ourselves to Him as He deserves. As we think about maybe the last week, or maybe for some of us, the last hour, have we lived in such a way that we are proving that our lives are on the altar of sacrifice, that everything we do and say is an act of worship to our God? Or would the message of our lives be that we're worshiping something else? I'm reminded of this truth often in my own life, that we're always worshiping something. We're either worshiping the desires of our flesh, or we're worshiping the God who saved us. So this morning we'll see four things in this passage that I pray will be a help to us as we seek to live our lives as an act of worship, as Paul says in verse number one, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The first thing we understand today is this: we give ourselves, as we understand, His mercy. We give ourselves on the altar of sacrifice as we understand the mercy of God in our lives. He says again, I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you, I implore you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies on the altar of sacrifice. Church, do you understand today that our God is a merciful God? That everything we have in our lives is not because of who we are or because of what we have done or because of what we have accomplished. But everything that we have in this life, including the air that we breathe, is because of the mercies of God. Because God has been gracious to us. Because God has been kind to us even when we did not deserve his kindness. Unfortunately, I believe oftentimes we allow this thought of the mercy of God to wash over us without actually affecting us. Everything that Paul had written about leading up to chapter 12 had been pointing to the mercy of God. In the early portions of Roman we said he talks about the idea of the pervasiveness of sin and then he talks about the salvation that God has provided and then he talks about the sanctification that God brings into our lives as believers and those are huge doctrines that Paul is unpacking and every one of those doctrines Every one of those truths that Paul relays to us is pointing to this reality that when we did not deserve it, God was merciful to us. That when we were far from God, God was the one who was drawing us close to himself. That when we wanted nothing to do with him, he loved us with a love that is beyond our understanding. Everything in our lives is because of the mercy of God. We see his mercy in the fact that he sent his son to die in our place on a cross that we deserve, who experienced the the separation that we deserve to experience. And he did all that because he loves us. And so I would ask us today, if we're not giving ourselves on the altar of sacrifice like God wants us to, I would ask us in our lives to examine how we have neglected this idea of the mercy of God. We live in a culture where where people like to claim that they've pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, right? I, I don't really even understand that saying, but everyone always says it. I don't have any boots with straps on them, so I guess I've never done that. But isn't that the, the idea of the culture that, that we are self-made men and women? That, that we have gotten to where we are because of who we are? But as believers, we understand that that is not true at all, that I am where I am today because God has been merciful to me. And you are where you are today because God has been merciful to you. And so we need to get reacquainted with this idea of the mercies of God. We need to make a list of how God has been merciful to us. And as we make this list, as we grow in our understanding of His mercy towards us, I believe we will find ourselves giving ourselves on that altar of sacrifice and that our lives will be lived in worship to Him. In 1 John 3, 1, John says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Behold, take notice, recognize, and understand that it's only because the love of God towards us that we are able to be called His sons and daughters. As John continues to write in that chapter, he goes on to talk about how the children of God should live. And as he gets towards the end of the chapter in verses 16 through 18, John makes his case clear that because of what God has done for us, our lives are to be radically transformed. And so as we think about God being our father and as we think about the fact that he is our father, and that's only because of His mercy, I I would ask us, do we bear the family resemblance? Do we look like our Father? The Bible says that our Father is rich in mercy. I wonder today as we understand His mercy and His giving Spirit and His love for us, I wonder today that when we dwell on those things, as we meditate on those things, Is it causing us to live a life that brings glory to His name? Do our lives cause those around us to have a favorable view of God? Do our lives as we live in this world cause people to see that there is something different in us? Do our lives as we live them in this world, do they cause people to understand that we have a hope in a world that does not have hope? You see, when we understand the mercies of God, we should desire to live in a way that brings glory to His name. And when we do that, our lives will be lived as an act of worship. Sometimes, as we think about this idea of God's mercy, we think that it only has to do with the positive things that God has done for us. Anybody familiar with Lamentations 3? Well, we know the end of the chapter where his mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. But I would encourage you to read the beginning of that chapter because as Jeremiah writes, he writes about some hard things that he faced because of God's doing in his life. In fact, Jeremiah said that he's seen the affliction of the wrath of God. He has brought, God had brought him into darkness. He had turned against him. Uh, Jeremiah's flesh is made old and his, bro, his bones are broken. God set him in dark places. He built a way, a wall around him that he could not get out. He made his chains heavy. He shut down his prayers. His paths were made crooked. God was like a bear and a lion waiting to attack. He made him desolate. He filled him with bitterness. And all his strength and his hope had perished. And as Jeremiah thought about the difficult works that God had done in his life, do you know what conclusion Jeremiah came to? But even in the midst of this, I have hope. And it's only because of the mercies of God that I have not been consumed because our God is faithful. And so even in Jeremiah's troubles, even as Israel was going through dark days, Jeremiah understood that these things were being done at the mighty hand of God. And that even in the difficulties, God was being merciful towards them. And it was because of God's mercy that these trials that they were facing had not consumed them. And friend, if you're here today and you are a believer If you're a child of God, understand that in your darkest days, the only reason you have not been consumed by that trial is because your Heavenly Father is merciful towards you. And may we understand how faithful He is. And as we understand His faithfulness, may we give ourselves on the altar of sacrifice. So first off this morning, I would encourage us to get acquainted with the mercies of God when our minds are consumed with how merciful God has been to us, we can't help but lay ourselves on that altar of sacrifice. The second thing we see this morning is that we give ourselves wholly, holding nothing back. He says in verse number one again that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. One of my many favorite accounts in the Word of God is when uh, Abraham took Isaac to the top of the mountain, and he was getting ready to sacrifice his son. And as they're climbing the mountain, Abraham and Isaac are having a conversation, and Isaac asks, Dad, we, we've got the fire and we've got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham responds to his son, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. And they make their way to the top of that mountain. And Abraham builds that altar. And then he prepares the sacrifice that God had called him to give, which was his son. The Bible says that as Abraham took the knife in his hand and as he was ready to slay his son, that God stopped him. So I was thinking about that this week. You know what Abraham didn't do when he was called to offer his son? He didn't say, okay, we're going to climb the mountain and we're going to build an altar and then I'm going to take Isaac's arm and I'm going to place that on the sacrifice. Or I'm going to take Isaac's big toe and place it on the sacrifice. Or I'm going to take Isaac's thigh and place it on the sacrifice. What did Abraham do? God called him to give his son holy to him. And so what did Abraham do? He was willing to give his son holy to God. Not a portion, not a part, but every piece of him. He was willing to lay his son on the altar. We understand that Hebrews reveals to us that Abraham did this believing that God would bring his son back from the dead. But as a parent, how hard would that have been? Abraham was willing because that's what God desired. And as Paul is writing here in, in chapter 12, what does he say to us? That you present a part of yourself as a living sacrifice. That you present what's convenient in your life as a sacrifice. That you present what's enjoyable? No. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. And so if we're going to live as an act of worship, we must give ourselves wholly to Him holding nothing back. I don't know what it is in your life that you are prone to hold back from God. But can I tell you, if and when we hold anything back from Him, we're not living in the way that He desires or deserves. If we're holding anything back from Him, then it's revealing that there's a flaw in our hearts that has not come to grips with the reality of who God is or what God has asked. Paul says, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. As we read through the Bible, we are quick to understand that half-hearted commitment to Jesus always leads to failure. Every time. Half-hearted commitment to Jesus always leads to failure. Oh, it may not be a big public failure, or it may not be a a huge failure within your family, but there's always failure in our lives if we're not committed to Him like He has called us to be. We may be able to make it look good on the outside, but eventually, but eventually the show will come to an end. And those around us will understand that we were not living the life that God has called us to live. I want to share some statistics with you, and, and I want to say at the, the onset of these statistics that these are not the whole of the Christian life. These are just metrics that we can use to measure how committed we are to, to God. And I also want to say this. I made this statement earlier. If in hearing these things we're quick to build up walls, then let that be a sign to us that maybe, maybe this is an area that we struggle and my heart is pounding as I share these things. Because as I said earlier, it's not my desire to offend. But it is my desire. That we would understand God's desire for us in living a whole body sacrifice, that everything about us is yielded to Him. The first one, and I'm thankful we have a good crowd here this morning, is. Church attendance. The average Christian or the average church attendance for Christians is three out of eight Sundays. Is that crazy to anybody else? That we are regular attenders at church if we're hitting three out of eight Sundays? That blows my mind. Now, I shared this a couple weeks ago. We don't preach. Three to thrive and four to flourish, right? That, that's not our mentality when it comes to attending a worship service or being faithful to God's house. But I think we should understand that three to eight is very telling about many Christians in this world, that, that whole body sacrifice is actually not a reality in their lives, that church and worship is a thing of convenience rather than a thing of conviction. And that's not the way it should be. Now, do we all have to miss church at times? Yeah. Noah's at home today with Charlotte. She woke up with a fever. So they're home. If you go on vacation, sometimes you can't go to church. Right? There there are always exceptions to the rule. But I don't know about you. I'm, I'm not typically on vacation five weeks out of eight weeks. I'm not typically sick five weeks out of eight weeks. And I have to give a little caveat. I, I am often hesit, hesitant to mention church attendance because from the time I was born until now, church has almost been a mandatory part of my life. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I grew up with Christian, or Christian parents who were strongly convicted about that. So we were always at church, like many of you. Well, after high school, I went to Bible college and I had to sign a piece of paper every week saying that I was in church. It was a part of my life. My senior year of college, I started as a youth pastor, and I've been in ministry ever since. And so I don't take lightly this idea of, of people having to miss church sometimes. I, I understand that my life is very different from your lives. If, I don't, if I'm not here after a certain amount of weeks, I'm probably going to stop getting a paycheck, right? Maybe we need to hand out paychecks to everybody, Delbert. <laughs> but I hope that as we hear that statistic of the average church attendance is three out of eight weeks, that our hearts would grieve. Because shouldn't God mean more than that to us? Shouldn't our desire be to worship Him? Every chance we get. And I understand that there are family dynamics that come into play, that you may have a spouse that's not saved, that you may have children that don't want to be here, but can I encourage you today to do what you can do to get to the place where regular church attendance is not three out of eight Sundays, but that the, the desire of your heart is to be here. And even when you can't be here, that your desire is to still be here. So church attendance, that's a fun one. The next one's even more fun, and it's giving. Giving. This actually broke my heart when I read it. 75 to 90% of Christians do not give consistently after a biblical pattern. Now there's, there's debates and conversations that can be had about what a biblical pattern of giving is. Um, there are some that hold strictly to the idea of the tithe of 10%. There are others who would take a New Testament approach and talk about grace giving. But in both of those areas, the general consensus is, is that giving of 10% of your income is the place to start. You may hear that today, and you may say, that is crazy. Giving away 10% of what what, what I've earned, but what do we already establish today? That everything we have is because of the mercy of God. And so giving back 10% of what God has blessed us is in reality a very small portion. God is allowing us to live on 90%, and he's only asking us, for 10% or around that figure. And you can, you can approach that in the way that you want, but as I said, most people will agree that whether it's grace giving or a strict adherence to the tithe, that we're to give somewhere around 10%. I, I read this statistic. Uh, during the Great Depression, the average giving for Christians was 3.3%. You say, that's understandable. They were living during the Great Depression. You want to know what the average giving is today? We give less than the Christians who are living in one of the hardest economical times in the world. What could that possibly reveal to us? That our finances have become a God that we don't want the one true God to have any control over. And this is not me begging to give because I will strive to never beg for money. That's not my job. But my job is to say what the Word of God says. And our job then, collectively, is to respond to what the Word of God says. And so we have church attendance, three out of eight Sundays. We have Giving. 75 to 90% of Christians don't give after the biblical pattern. What else can we talk about that would be encouraging this morning? How about Bible reading? 14% of Christians read their Bibles daily. 14% of Christians read their Bible several days a week. 8% read their Bible once a week. 7% read their Bibles once a month. How can we say that we're living a life of worship if we're not even opening the Word of God? And I've been honest with you before that sometimes my devotional life has not been what it should be. Shame on me so again, this is, this is not pointing a finger because I know where I struggle. I know where my failures are. I pray that as we hear these things, we would understand what God desires from us. Do you believe that this is the greatest book that was ever written? Do you believe that this is the book that reveals to us what God's will is for our lives? That this is the book that reveals to us how we're to live in any given situ- situation. That this is the book that reveals to us our hope in this life and in the life to come. Friend, if those things are true, why are we not in the book? Why do we view it as something that, that's optional? Or, or doesn't? And there, there's no place in the Bible that says you have to do 45 minutes of devotions every day. But have you read Psalm 119 recently? Have you read about David's love for the Word of God? I pray that that would be all of us. The final thing that I just want to mention in in passing as we think about giving ourselves wholly and holding nothing back is this idea of, of Christian hospitality. One of the things that I love about reading through the book of Acts is seeing how faithfully the church did life together. They were a part of one another's lives. And that's a good thing on many levels. It it brings accountability. It brings encouragement. It shows commitment. But can I ask you, when is the last time that you've been hospitable towards another Christian family? When's the last time you've been hospitable towards somebody who's not a Christian? Christian hospitality is a picture of God's hospitality towards us. That we're willing to take of our lives, our time, our finances, and invite people in to experience those things with us. I don't have any statistics for you on Christian hospitality, but I will make this statement that through COVID... That's one of the things that the church lost in a big way. And may we reclaim that. And so Paul calls us to give our lives as a a living sacrifice. We're to give our lives in a way that's acceptable to God. And then he goes on to say that this is your reasonable service. This word reasonable in the Greek is, is the word logikos. It's where we get our word logical And so you know what Paul is saying? I'm begging you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And this is your only logical response when you understand what God has done for you. So I would ask us, are these things logical to us? Do these things make sense? Are these things a part of our lives? I was reminded of what Paul said. 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I wonder, are we placing ourselves wholly on the altar of sacrifice, holding nothing back? We could continue talking about specifics, but I think the Spirit of God can do a better job of that than I can do. And I think we all know where we struggle in this area of giving ourselves wholly to Him. And as He speaks to us, may we listen. The third thing this morning is that we give ourselves desiring to be transformed into the image of Christ. In verse number two, Paul says this, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, do you understand today that God is in the transformation business We understand that about salvation, that we went from nothing uh, in and of ourselves to experiencing the goodness of God and becoming his sons and daughters. We get that God transforms us at the moment of salvation, but let us not neglect this idea that that transformation is to happen day in and day out from that time. From the moment we're saved, we're to continually be transformed through the process of sanctification. And what does that sanctification do? It makes us look like Jesus Christ. Do you want to look like Christ? I hope you do. I hope that that's the desire of our hearts, that when people see us, they don't see us. That they see the one who has changed us. And so Paul says... His desire is not that they would be conformed to this world, but they would be transformed. Is the world seeking to conform people to their mold? Yeah. In the smallest of ways to the biggest of ways. But may our desire be today to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. May we shake off the desire within us to be conformed to the image of the world. And may we put on the desire to look like Jesus. I'll be honest. Is there ever a draw to be conformed to the image of the world? Absolutely. But that's not what God has desired for us. And so as Paul is is writing these transitional Verses And as he's talked about all that God has done, he's now talking about what Christians are called to do. And he begs us that by the mercies of God, we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice and that we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed. And then Paul tells us how to be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. How is our mind renewed? Through the Spirit of God and the Word of God. How is our mind conformed to the image of the world? By adhering to what the world says over what God says. And so Paul's desire is that we would give ourselves wholly, holding nothing back, and that when we do this, we would be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. As a dad, I often have to stop myself and ask, is my desire for my kids to be conformed into the image of this world? Or is my desire for my kids to look like Jesus? And much of how my kids are formed in their early years has a very great connection to if my desire is to be conformed into the image of this world or if my desire is to be transformed into the image of Christ. So where do you not look like Christ? We won't make a list. But can I tell you to to dig up those places in your life that are not what they should be and then allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to transform your mind so that you look like your Savior. Being transformed into the image of Christ means that we allow the Spirit of God to sanctify every part of us beginning with our minds. And so if our minds have to be transformed before our lives will follow We have to ask the question, how does that happen? I believe it begins by us truly believing that the Bible is a final authority. It continues by being intentional about what we consume. And it continues after that by making sure we're allowing Scripture to be preeminent in our lives. Because it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that will make us into the image of Jesus Christ. I was listening to a podcast this week by Paul Tripp. Anybody familiar with Paul Tripp? I would encourage you to get familiar with Paul Tripp. He's probably the most convicting author, uh, one of the most convicting speakers. God has just used him uh, in my life in a huge way. If you're struggling with parenting, um, pick up the book Parenting and then you'll really see how much you're actually struggling. Um, It's it's good. It's also bad, but it's good. I was listening to the podcast by him this week, and he said that, that much of Christianity lives as functional atheists. I'm like, what does that mean? A conceptual atheist would be one who says there is no God, and then their lives are lived out because of what they believe in their minds. A functional atheist would be one who believes there's a God, but then they don't live like there is a God. That that rocked me. Because how often do I live as a functional atheist? How often do I do what I want to do versus what God wants me to do? How often do we neglect what the Word of God says for the convenience of our own lives? Church, may we not be functional atheists. May we live wholeheartedly believing that there is one God and He has called us into life with Him. And may our lives bring glory to His name. So we give ourselves desiring to be transformed into the image of Christ. And I must say at the end of that, understanding that that is the only way to be transformed into the image of Christ. I mentioned it earlier, you can put on a show, but in the end the show is going to come to an end and reality is going to be seen. So may we give ourselves so that God can do that transformational work in us. The final thing we see this morning is that we give ourselves because we understand that this is the perfect plan of God. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Have you ever wondered what the perfect plan of God is for your life? We've all been there. What should I do here? What should I do there? Well, Paul reveals to us in... Very simple words that God's plan for us is that we would be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, that we would give ourselves on the altar of sacrifice daily so that we can prove to the world who God is. He says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, if my life is going to mean anything, then I have to understand very simply what the plan of God is. And God's plan is that I would consistently and continually give myself on the altar of sacrifice for His glory and for my good. As we read verses like Galatians 2.20, we could say, well, Paul had that easy Christian life. Everything always seemed to go his way. He never faced any struggles. Do you understand that when Paul wrote Galatians, he was writing at the end of his third missionary journey and what did Paul experience on his third missionary journey? Just about every harm and evil and danger that this life could throw at him and yet he still chooses to say, I am crucified with Christ. That my life will be lived on the altar of sacrifice because I understand what God has done for me. Friends, God's perfect plan for you may not be what you want in this moment, but we can understand that His perfect plan is the best thing for us because He never makes a mistake. God does not call us to live on the altar of sacrifice because it will be to our detriment. He calls us to live on the altar of sacrifice because it will be for for our good. And though it's hard, and though it's painful at times, and though we often don't understand what God is doing, our job is to stay on the altar of sacrifice. And that's what makes Romans 12, 1 and 2 such an interesting passage because every sacrifice that was ever given throughout the course of time was a dead sacrifice. And yet Paul's calling us as believers to be a living sacrifice. And you know what the difficulty with a living sacrifice is? It's living. It can get up and move if it wants to. And yet he's calling us to make the choice to stay on the altar. Why would we do this? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are... God's. We would do it because we understand what God has done for us. Does it impact every area of our lives? Well, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So it's not just a portion of our lives or a part of our lives, but it's everything about us. Well, what's our attitude supposed to be in doing this? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So I would ask us wherever we find ourselves today are we living life on the altar? Or are we doing everything we can to stay off the altar? Are, are we living our lives with a desire? to live out the perfect plan of God? Or are we living our lives with the desire to live out our plan? As we think about God's desire for us, we must understand that the goal of God is not to make us independent. That's what the world preaches. The goal of God is to make us dependent. And the one we're to be dependent on is the one who has saved us from our sins. And so I would ask us today, are we living our lives as an act of worship? Are we living our lives with the desire to bring glory to His name? Are we living our lives with the desire to make Him known above all else? Are we living our lives with the desire to complete His perfect will. I think a prayer that that we might need to pray is simply this. God, make me willing to follow You wherever You lead. Nothing held back. God, make me willing to follow You wherever You lead nothing held back that podcast i mentioned a moment ago um, one of the first episodes he talked about this idea that many christians and he was speaking specifically to the the context of american christians lives with this idea that there are two gods there's a god who's in control of of hardships and evil and pain and we would know him as as satan And then there's a God who's in control of all the good things in this life, all the the pleasurable things, all the joyful things. And so in those moments where we face hardships, we just blame the evil God, and we look to the good God to get us out of that situation. But do we understand today that there is only one God? And He has got over the difficult and the good. He's got over the valleys and the mountaintops. And when we understand that truth, We will be able to, wherever He leads us, live on that altar. I'm not saying that the valleys are fun. There's some of you in this room right now who are going through dark and deep valleys. But will you commit to living on the altar in those times? There's some of you here today who are going through mountaintop experiences, and we Rejoice with you. We we may be jealous of you, but we rejoice with you. Will you commit as you go through those mountaintop experiences to live on the altar? That whatever he's doing in us, that we will believe that it is his perfect plan and that we would stay in that place for his honor and for his glory. The big idea that we began with again was this. Paul is urging believers to give themselves on the altar of sacrifice in response to what God has done for them in giving His Son as a sacrifice. You may be here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. Understand, the only way, the only way for you to have a relationship with God is because of what God has done for you in sending His Son to die in your place. You may be working hard, You may be striving with everything within you. You may have the best morals of anybody in this room, but understand, if you're not dependent on Jesus for your salvation, then it will lead to utter and everlasting failure in your life where you will be separated from God forever. So Paul is not calling unsaved people to live on the altar. Paul is calling unsaved people to understand the sacrifice that was made for them and that they would trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, understand that one day it will be too late. One day time will pass. And if you go from this life to the next, Without trusting Christ as your Savior, you will will be separated from Him for all of eternity. Will you trust Him today? Believers, we'll close with one final question. Two final questions. Are we living in light of His love for us? That when we think about what God has done for us, Is it pushing us to stay on the altar? The second question is this. Are we a people who die daily for the glory of God? The world would preach the message, don't die to yourself, be true to yourself. Do you know where being true to themselves got Adam and Eve <laughs> kicked out of the garden? Do you know where being true to themselves himself got Cain killed his brother. Do you know what being true to himself got Noah, found himself drunk after they landed on dry ground? Do you know where being true to themselves got much of the world's population at the Tower of Babel? They got dispersed throughout all the lands. Do you know where being true to ourselves has gotten us? a life sentence of separation from God. But do you know where faith in Jesus Christ gets us? Hope of eternal life with Him. And not just hope of eternal life, but hope in this life. And so as we understand what God has done for us, may we daily choose to live on the altar of sacrifice for His glory and for our good. God, we thank you for this time that we can be in your house today. We thank you for your word, and God, I know this passage is familiar. I understand, God, that that many of us in this room could quote it, but God, I also understand that in my life, some of the most familiar passages are the ones that I need to hear most often. So may today our desire be to live on the altar. That when we're tempted to get up that we would stay put and when we do get up that we would hurry back. May we live on the altar for your glory understanding that this is your plan for our lives. And God if there's any here today who have never trusted Christ as their Savior I do pray that they would understand that without Jesus Christ they are hopeless. But because God, you sent your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to be buried in the ground and rise again triumphantly that we too can have hope of a triumphant life as we are dependent upon Him, as we look to Him as our Savior through repentance of our sins. God, if there's any here today who have not trusted, may today be the day of their salvation. May they step on that altar for the very first time and never get off. God, we thank you again that your word is straightforward. May your spirit use it in our lives as we seek to live for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?